Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. We've got the uh, stranger, Michael Morrow, back from the winter tundra adventures that he's been on. And we're joined today by Tracy Binkard and Patrick Owen with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. They're both on staff. Tracy, you're the editor of Wyoming Wildlife Magazine. Is that correct? That's correct. And Patrick is the art director of Wyoming Wildlife Magazine. Correct. Welcome, both of you. Welcome to Wild and Exposed Podcast, and thank you for taking some time out of your busy day today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So one of the reasons that we wanted to have these guys on is we constantly get questions about, number one, how to become a professional. Number two, what kind of images do periodicals want? Number three, can I just submit or do I need to wait for an invitation? Those kind of things. And so we thought it would be good given we're kind of right on the back end of the 2021, actually 2022 um, Wyoming Wildlife Contest. And we thought it would be good a good time to discuss some of those questions and then just get some advice for our listeners from these guys as far as what editors and, and uh, art directors are looking for in storytelling type images. So Tracy, let's start with you. Where did you get your start? Obviously, you didn't come in and start as an editor. Where did you get your start in the periodical world? So I actually grew up uh, in Wyoming. So this is a really cool job for somebody who's native to Wyoming. And I grew up uh, hunting, fishing, kicking around in the rocks in central Wyoming. And uh, went to school for a couple years in North Dakota, thinking that I wanted to get away from the state when I was fresh out of high school and quickly learned that Wyoming is truly my home. So I returned, went to the University of Wyoming. And um, after I graduated with a bachelor's degree in journalism, I worked in radio uh, as a news reporter for several years and went uh, in Laramie and Rock Springs doing that. Finally landed with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, working for Wyoming Wildlife, started, uh, you know, with just basic news in radio, moved to associate editor for the magazine, and then finally moved up to editor a few years ago. What is your job? What does an editor do? Well, for some people it might sound boring, but I do. A, I spend a lot of time reading people's articles, trying to beef them up. I rearrange uh, the text, looking for grammatical mistakes. I also look for different um, errors and things like that and try to fact check, make sure everything's accurate. And really I have uh, the vision for the magazine. So the overall tone for the magazine, um, helping to come up with article ideas, assigning to freelancers, um, and just kind of coming in with this big overall plan for Wyoming wildlife. That's pretty cool. And that's a huge job. How far out do you guys operate? Are you like one year, two years? Are you trying to How's that work? So for this year, we've already planned out basically all of 2022. So any pitches or things like that that we get, we're looking for into 2023. In the fall, early fall, we start planning for the whole next year. And we try to keep a couple of things open so that if there's something really big that happens, that we have a place to fill. But overall, we, we try to plan the whole year 
in the fall. Patrick, that as an art director, when you plan the full year ahead, obviously that's when your job starts is, is finding images that are going to support whatever stories you guys decide you're going to try and develop. Tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, where you got your start. And then secondly, as an art director, how you work alongside of the editor and the, the storytellers. Yeah, so I uh, I graduated from the University of Wyoming um, in 2012 with a graphic design degree. Uh, right out of college, I started working at the University of Wyoming uh, for institutional marketing. Um, I was there for uh, five or six years, um, time with the Alumni Association, a um, couple of other entities, College of Engineering. I mainly did graphic design, public relations, and marketing with them. Um, and then uh, I eventually got a job with the Game and Fish in August 2019. Um, so I've been here almost three years. Um, and uh, I'm learning it so far, still learning as I go. So, um, so how I work with the editorial team really is, uh, um, you know, I try to get ahead of, of these articles as much as I can. Um, I've been working with a lot of the same photographers. So I, I know their strengths. Uh, I know what they're good at. I, I have a good idea of what their uh, photo databases look like um, and kind of the areas of specialty. Um, but I also like to find new photographers. Um, I, I look on social media platforms uh, on my own time trying to find new talent. Uh, and honestly, because I just love wildlife photography. Um, and uh, also, uh, you know, I, I uh, we have our two photo contests every year, um, so I I, uh, I find freelancers through that. Uh, I'm sure we'll get more into that later. But um, when it comes to uh, specific topics, um, you know, I just kind of tap into what I know and what photographers have what, and uh, reach out to them and ask for specifics. Um, and uh, you know, honestly, just try to get the best images I possibly can. Um, I also try to identify which photographers live in what area. Um, obviously, we get a lot of uh, people taking photos up um, in Northwest Wyoming, but uh, I, I re I'm always looking for people in Southeast Wyoming, uh, Northeast Wyoming, um, and all across the state. So, people that are stuck outside of Teton County and Yellowstone National Park. Right, right, because there's so many, you know, different types of habitats out there. Oh, absolutely. You bet. So do you take, as as the art director, do you take the the storyboard list that's planned out for the year and then start to kind of design your requests from there? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a year out. So I usually work, you know, I the best way to put it is probably in seasons. So I try to get ahead. Uh we send our, our magazine to the printer about, uh, I don't know, 20 days before um, the month issue comes out. And, uh, you know, I try to get at least a month ahead of that point. So so two months before um, the issue comes out, I usually try to search. Um, that allows me enough time to find the best photos I can. Now, how do you guys work together? Well, first of all, I want to ask this because this is, I know you've got this written out 
on the website and in the magazine, but kind of spell out for people how you request submissions because you don't want to be, you know, get this big barrage of or influx of images and story pitches every month. How do you select those and, and how does that process work? So we have an email address that people can email um, and send pitches. So if it's for like a story idea, um, that would go to me. If it's more geared toward, are you interested in my photography? Patrick uh, goes through those. So we really prefer that people send those things to us um, in advance. And uh, the email address for that is wyomingwildlife at wyo.gov. So if anybody has a pitch for an article, we just need to know um, the obviously the topic and what season would be most appropriate for it. Um, if there's something that exists already, um, we ask that people wait to send those articles until we've requested them. So send you know an email saying what you have, uh, but don't necessarily send the article itself because uh, it, we need to vet those and see if we're even interested before we start getting tons and tons of things to to read through because uh, we get a lot of requests and it does sometimes get overwhelming. So if we have an idea of what's coming and when, that helps us a lot. Um, and then uh, I can let Patrick answer as far as uh, photography is concerned. Yeah, go ahead, Patrick. Same question, but from your perspective. So I I, no, I, I do get a decent amount of, of people reaching out, um, showing me their photography and, and uh, um, there's been some cases that I do follow through and using their photos. Um, but I say, I, I think I find the majority of new photographers through our photo contests. That's probably the best way to do it. Uh, you know, I, I, I welcome anybody to send me examples of their work and, uh, I'm always open to, uh, trying new people. Actually, I, you know, like I said, I try to find people from all over. You know, I, I, I find a lot of them from the photo contest because, you know, I can see their work. They usually submit, you know, a few photos into that. You can submit up to 10 in both of our contests. Um, so that, I mean, that gives me a pretty good idea of what they have. Yeah, don't shy away from sending me things because I'm always open. The two contests that you guys have, uh, number one is the, the Wyoming Wildlife Contest with the photo issue, which comes out in February every year, and then also your calendar contests and you guys put out a statewide or calendar of images um, annually as well. Now those submissions aren't necessarily opening it up. So one of the, we've had discussions about photo contests before and there's several different types. Um, some just, they get the rights to your image, however they want to use it. You guys, it's, you know, it's uh, contest specific. So if you submit an image, it's submitted for that contest. And if you use it afterward or you would like to use it, you know, to support a story, that's separate, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yep, absolutely. We're, we're not looking to re get the rights to any photography. Um, you know, the purpose of, of those publications is to showcase the beautiful wildlife across the state. Um, you know, the, on the only way we will ever use it in the future is, for promotion of future contests. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to clear that up for people. So they understand that it, it is a legitimate contest, legitimate competition. And 
if you look at the photo issues from the last several years, it's incredible. And a lot of listeners from this podcast and actually um, contributors to the podcast have have been winners and represented Wyoming Wildlife. And Dan Linhart, he's even got a Wild and Exposed hat on in one of his, uh, his images for the, the calendar bio. So anyway, that I just wanted to make sure everybody was clear on that because it's not anything they're looking for freebies. These, these are legitimate competitions. And if you look at the the artwork in Wyoming Wildlife, I've always said it's the best deal in wildlife periodicals. It's roughly a dollar a month, I think, to uh, get a subscription. And it's a not only are there great stories, but the, the photography is incredible. So you guys do a good job of selecting those and supporting the stories that you have to tell. And you don't have to be a Wyoming resident to get it, right? No, absolutely not. The majority of our subscribers are actually out of state and usually they have some tie to Wyoming, whether they visited Wyoming on vacation, they have family here, they used to live here. Usually, you know, it's people who have at least visited Wyoming, fell in love and want a piece of it. So we end up with a lot of people um, that are out of state, about 80% of our subscribers are from uh, out of Wyoming and just have some tie to it. And yeah, it's only $14.95 for 12 issues of the magazine. So it's a, it's a good deal. So Patrick, when somebody sends you images, like if you, they just want you to look at something and it's not contest specific. So in the old days, we would send in uh, some sort of a slide page full of slides. Now you can submit a gallery. What, what do you prefer to look at? You say you do a lot of stuff off social media. So would it be cool for somebody to say, hey, check out my Instagram account? Or <clears throat> would you prefer to have somebody build a, a proprietary gallery, password protected gallery or something somewhere so you could go look at the images. And then do you want raw stuff? Like, you know, these days people get away with a lot on social media, right? You can crop in about 75,000 times and it still looks really good, but you really want to know that they have images that work well in print. So what are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, you know, I deal with so many photographers. I mean, everybody has their own method of sharing. Um, uh, like I said earlier, I mean, I, I think just sharing uh, a sample of, of your best work um, initially uh, in JPEG form, they don't have to be high res, uh, just so I have a good understanding. I mean, you, I can tell if it's a, if, if it's a good image based on file size. Um, I, I assume most times that there's a larger version out there. Uh, you know, you can you can just kind of tell. Um, I, I I do like when people send me links to their websites. Uh, I do understand that it's it's quite an undertaking to build a website for yourself. I know it's become a lot easier nowadays, but um, you know, I I actually I don't think I've ever had anybody share their um, social media um, links to me. But um, I do, I, I look for photography on my free time. So if anyone ever wants to share um, their social media links with me, I'm, I'm always open to look through. It's such a user-friendly way to look through a lot of photos at once, you know? Tracy, the same question to you. Um, like, I'm sure you're always looking for those really cool stories that are off the beaten path, right? I mean, you can do stories about a lot of the keystone species and a lot of people know stuff and it's still cool to do those. 
But I'm sure you're out there looking for just those really obscure, super interesting stories, maybe about a bug or a bird or a, a amphibian of some sort. Uh, what's the? How do you find that stuff, and how are you looking for new talent? Yeah, it can be really tricky sometimes because uh, you do sometimes get into this where you you work with people and know their strengths, and then you want to work with those people more. And there's nothing wrong with that, but in order to have some more unique stories, we need to kind of go out of the box and find some new people. And so a lot of times people reach out um, either through that email address, sometimes they message us on Facebook, um, just with some story ideas, but you're right. We want something that's unique and different. There's a lot of story pitches that are really similar throughout the years. And even though you know they might have a little bit of a different twist, you don't want the same type of story in the magazine every month or a couple times a year. So uh, something that's unique. And then also visiting uh, people for conferences, things like that, um, really trying to talk to anybody. And sometimes um, just through photography in general, Patrick has turned me on to a few people that he, some, some of our pieces that we do that are really uh, art focused like we have a piece called the opening shot, which is basically a two page spread. And it has a little rail on the side that the photographer writes something up and explains how they got the shot and what made it so special. Well, if Patrick notices that somebody wrote a really nice piece for their photo, he might say to me, hey, this person could be a really good uh, writer as well. And so we've uh, been turned on to some people that have a lot of potential for writing through that as well. And I've always got my ears open, so if people are talking about something super unique or that they like to write, there's a lot of times that I'll just ask people flat out, have you considered it? Because sometimes people don't realize that they have the option to be published. They think that, oh, well, I just write on my free time or, you know, I just like to journal about my experiences. And people sometimes don't realize that option is out there. All you have to do is take the first step and ask. That's the beauty of working with editors, right? So. Maybe your maybe your writing isn't the strongest, um, but you know Tracy and Robert, uh, who's our associate um, editor, they're they're very good at working with freelancers and and making sure that we polish things up uh, and and ready for print. Can you give us an example, like out uh, of like the last twelve months? What's a good example of a really unique story? What would that involve? And just to give people an idea, I mean. So I actually had, this This was one that kind of came to me, that there were some researchers from the University of Wyoming that reached out to me and said, hey, we've been doing a lot of research and trying to look at these carnivores that are rarely seen in Wyoming, and we want people to report to us when they spot them. Is there any way that we can write about rarely seen carnivores and put it in the magazine? So we worked on kind of a how to make it work for the magazine. And these two researchers from the University of Wyoming ended up writing, basically there were some little species profiles about each one detailing the different carnivores that you don't see very often in the state, but that you might run into. And so like a spotted skunk, sure you see striped skunks all the time in Wyoming, spotted skunks, not so much. And so they're saying, hey, we need you as a citizen scientist to tell us what you see. And so people are able to learn about these animals, see photos of them, and then we ended up with a lot of reports from around the state of these different animals, like 
uh, leased weasels and spotted skunks, and we ended up with a lot of swift fox reports. And so the magazine actually helped with the citizen science portion of it, but people also got to learn about these carnivores. And it was about critters that people haven't seen, people that are out in the woods all the time in Wyoming haven't seen some of these carnivores or have and didn't know it was special. So it was a, a nice pitch that about something that was different and drew a lot of attention. Coming from my perspective, I am a horrible writer. Ron, on the other hand, is a really good writer. So every time I need a description for the episode, I call it Ron. But do you guys ever say, oh, well, this person has really great photos. They don't like writing or they can't write. Do you ever team them up with a writer to go out and tackle a whole new topic where it's like, hey, we got this obscure idea. You focus on the stills and you focus on the the uh, writing. It does, does that happen a lot or how does that work? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that aren't into the writing part of it. I wouldn't say it happens a lot, but it does happen. Um, I, I think it was last year, although some of the years kind of blend together for me. We uh, had a, some photos of sharp-tailed grouse that were uh, on leks in uh, high mountain areas. So you see these amazing photos where there's tons and tons of snow and there's these grouse out there doing their dance and trying to attract a lady. But the photographer uh, isn't really a writer. And we had already been looking at a writer out of Laramie who uh, wrote for a newspaper and was a really strong writer. So we reached out to her and said, would you like to pair up for this photo essay? And basically we're gonna use his photos and we want a species profile about sharp-tailed grouse. And so we were able to put those two together and the piece turned out awesome. And Patrick did an amazing job on the layout. It, it was an award-winning layout. So it, it worked out really well. And we have a father-daughter team that work together for, he does the photos, she does the, the stories. And even uh, within our department, we've had people like a biologist wanted to write a story that he was really excited about, but he was really nervous about the writing portion. And so we uh, paired him up with another employee who writes for the magazine regularly, and they were able to, to put out some really good work. So um, we do end up if you've got a good idea and need that that pairing, we might be able to help. And then is it, you know, as I was going up through the whole ranks of submitting images and, you know, with you guys and a lot of other state magazines and national magazines, it was always better if you just showed up with the whole package, right? You showed up with the stills and the article. Is that something you're always looking for too? Because that saves you a lot of time, right? That If you can get someone that just says, hey, here's the whole package, that's that's a win-win for everybody, right? Yes, that is a huge win for us. We That's actually one of the things that we had discussed is it's great when somebody comes with a, a package deal. And even if it's not written yet, you know, if maybe you've taken the photos and you'd like to write the article or you have the article and you'd like to do the photos, it does save us a lot of time. There's no guarantee that your photos are going to be the exclusive ones in that article. Um, but it does help, and then we know that we have it. Sometimes, depending on how unique the story is, sometimes it's hard to get photos for it, and Patrick can definitely attest to that, that sometimes you end up digging and digging and digging, and nobody has that photo that you're looking for. So if you have a, a package, that makes you very marketable. You know, you know, I always try to follow the narrative of the, of the story with photography 
and sometimes I have to fill in the gaps. But, you know, people go out. Sometimes people write the story first, like Tracy said. Some people shoot the photos first. Um, it, it makes it kind of a challenge when, you know, you're trying to get ahead a, a year and uh, somebody went out and shot some photos in, in the winter. And then, you know, you can't really ask somebody to go out um, when you're preparing that story in the spring. Um, you know, it, it's just the seasonality of it is, is kind of complicated. But, you know, in a perfect world, I, I would love if, if somebody wrote uh, a story and it was followed closely with um, uh, photos that match the narrative uh, perfectly. Award-winning photos. <laughs> Award-winning, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and how much video are you guys doing, if any at all? I know that I work with Wayne sometimes down in Colorado, um, and he's kind of diving into it a little bit, but I don't, I don't even know to what extent they're using video. Do you guys work with the video team, or do you do video as part of the magazine stuff, or how does that work? Um, so we have some people here that uh, take videos. Our social media is where we see a lot of videos. And then we also have a, a guy that puts together pieces for the news um, on a, a pretty consistent basis. So we do end up with some videos. We've not really been purchasing videos from like freelancers or anything like that. Most of the video work that we've done comes from the department. Uh, but the magazine did recently launch an e-edition. It's been just over a year ago. And what's really cool with that is then when we put our magazine online, we can put links to videos or, you know, put a video over the top of where like a photo was if we took a still from a video or something like that. So people can get that added content and actually see the video and, and see the, the motion of the shot, I guess. Um, so it's a little bit of added bonus for people that actually do get online and look at the edition. What is that format for online? Is it a special piece of software or is it a PDF or how do you guys deliver that? And do you have to be a subscriber to get it? So you do have to be a subscriber to get it. Our um, very first issue actually happened to be our special grizzly bear issue and that one was so important we made that free for everybody. Uh, and I believe the link is on the magazine's website. Uh, but other than that, you do have to be a subscriber to access that. And we've got a, a website that actually hosts that, and they specialize in e-editions for magazines. So it's basically like you're flipping through the magazine and looking at it right there on your screen, just with the added bonus that it is actually on the screen. So you can click on the hyperlink instead of having to type it into your browser, and you can play a video that obviously you can't get with a printed magazine. Yeah, it's a catch-22, right? I love having a magazine in front of me and having that paper and actually being able to save it and come back to it. But you can do that with digital, too. But the digital, you're not printing any paper. You're not using many resources as far as paper and that inks and that stuff goes. And the cool thing about that is you do get the video enhancement, which could really help with some behavior or habitat, which you really may not get the whole 100% of the story if you're just looking at a still, other than reading the article, which you know, it still requires an imagination to figure it out. Yeah, it does. And, and we look at our e-edition as really a bonus content so that it helps to enhance what people are already getting in, you know, that paper copy. Do you think you'll ever go 100% e? We've not talked about that. Uh, I, I think there's still a really big value in having that paper copy. I don't see it going 100%. 
e-edition anytime soon. Um, if it did, that it, that would be a very big step. Yeah, I've never really liked. Um, uh, I like our e-edition, but uh, you know, personally, I don't really. Um, you know, I like having a National Geographic or something in my hand and flip through it, as opposed to getting on their app and, you know, scanning through. Um, but yeah, like Tracy said, we just, we wanted to have links to cool videos that our social media teams getting out in the field. Uh, I mean, we do so many awesome um, field work and, and research. Uh, it's, it's nice to see um, how that works. Yeah, I've seen some really awesome fly fishing or just different e-magazines but unless you're looking on a big fat awesome ipad you know if you're looking on your phone it just doesn't do it justice and so many people are just doing that myself included i don't have a really nice ipad but i've seen it on a nice ipad and that's pretty cool you know it kind of does rival a magazine but it's not the same well and something that i've always thought of with our magazine in particular and magazines like it is we cater toward people who like being outside and in the outdoors. And one of my favorite things about being outside is unplugging and not having to have all those electronics and everything else around you. And if you want to bring your magazine out when you're camping or you're out at hunting camp, you can. And you don't have to worry about, you know, having your iPad charged or your phone charged up or have, you know, have you downloaded it in advance so that you can read it. You can just take that sucker with you and you are good to go. So it's very outdoor friendly. And I think from a photographer's standpoint, there's something to be said about seeing your images in print um, rather than, you know, just online. There's a lot of avenues for that, but having your images in print, and I think that's, you know, our listeners, that's what they want, is they want to have those printed. They don't want to see them on any other online format. They can do that themselves. But I, I think there is something to be said for having that in hand, and I fully agree with what you guys have both said. Patrick, what do you see as far as, you know, the weakest part is probably the supporting images for the stories. Everybody wants to go out and take the the pretty artistic hang-on-your-wall type shot. What do you see as the weak points, and, and how can people think better in the field as far as getting those supporting images for either a story or a project? I, I would just try to think of everything that could possibly be in the, in the story. So say you're doing a, a piece on fly fishing. Um, you know, everybody wants to take, like you said, photos of the nice scenery people, you know, with a nice cast. Um, but it, you know, if we get some close up sh macro shots of the flies that you use, or, you know, if you could possibly get, one of one of the fish underwater you know swimming away obviously you need some specialized equipment for that but uh, i would i would just if, you, if you're really thinking about um you know writing a story and then and pairing that with with photos that follow the narrative i mean just just take photos of everything um your whole experience you know um your boots walking through the mud like um just i i i I really like that the the really strong narrative images of, of the journey of going outside and and the experience so our, our readers can you know put themselves in their shoes and and experience it through the, the photos we show with the stories. Do you find that you get too much long lens stuff and you don't get enough of that wide angle, share the experience, get your 
feet dirty kind of things? Yeah, I, I think we get more of the of the um, wide angle stuff. Or are you so the the long lens stuff? Yeah, you probably get more uh, of the yeah. portraits, right? And more of just that easy. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy, but the more common stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for a ver variety of angles and shots and and close ups and um, big opening spread type shots where I can put text over the top. Um, you know, ambiguous skies and um, just just trying to think of you know different angles into that story, um, so you know the the readers can have um, an experience visually at all angles as well. Can you describe for us because we get questions like this a lot? Uh, let's say an opening spread, and let's say it's two pages. What are you looking for? as far as the layout or the design of that image that helps you out? You mentioned some things just right before, but can you just describe what you're looking for in that image to, to make it work the best? Yeah, I mean, obviously we have a wildlife magazine, so, um, you know, a, a nice nice representation of the species in its natural habitat without any indication of, of humans um, for those species profiles uh, with you know, one one side of the page is the um, species represented well, and then the other side, maybe some ambiguous background, like I said, some sky, um, some darker, I don't know, rocks or something I can put text over, uh, not too much texture in the background. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on what the topic is. But that, I think I think focusing on a variety of shots and and uh, getting it, you know, quanti quantity drives quality. So um, just providing as many as you can. So um, I'm not forced to use like two options for an opening spread, but you know, it'd be nice if I had 20. Do you ever get a chance where you're like, oh man, this vertical image is so awesome, but it's vertical and I need a two page spread. And then do you end up, cameras are so good nowadays, can you slice out that horizontal out of a, out of a vertical or? Or are you like, now for two pages, we always need the horizontal? Yeah, for, I mean, if you're speaking of, of spreads, yeah, that happens all the time. Uh, sometimes I reach out, I was like, hey, did you crop this? Or, you know, you know, do you have any other uh, photos from this series that maybe were horizontal? Um, I We do that a bunch on the cover. Uh, I find a really awesome um, horizontal. And then I'm like, okay, well, that, that actually probably would crop nicely to the cover size. Um, and then I usually run it by the photographer and say, hey, you interested in maybe, uh, you know, everybody wants the cover shot, right? So no, nobody really um, um, is opposed to me using horizontals on a cover, but uh, that, that happens to me all the time. It actually happened to me like 15 minutes before I got on uh, this podcast. I was, I found this amazing photo of a uh, uh, mule deer and, and flowers and like, man, I wish that was a horizontal. What size are you looking for? You know, you mentioned it earlier that you can tell by the size of the image whether it's going to be a, coming from a higher quality uh, raw image or not. Like, say for a cover image, is it like a 20 megabyte picture, a 40 megabyte file? What what size is the optimum for you to be able to work your magic? The optimum would be 20 megabytes at least, I'd say. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at the focus and, and, and that type of thing. If, if it happens to be, you know, 10 megabytes and, and I think it's going to work the resolution, 
I'm I'm pretty much open to it. There isn't a number. I I know how to determine if it's a low res image right away, but usually usually can tell by the pixelation of an image if there, you know, if there's a strong chance there's a higher resolution out there. But it's back to sharing photos. Um, it's so hard to if you don't have any sharing software or websites, it's hard to send a bunch of images that, um, you know, a TIFFs or high-res JPEGs, just, just share what you can, and um, I can usually tell. But I, I don't really have a specific file size. I would love if everybody submitted a bunch of photos that were 40 megabytes. Do whatever you want with them at that point, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I, you know, 20 would probably even be better because then I don't have to worry about filling up my hard drive. <laughs> hard drive problems. So do you guys shoot images too, or do you write article? I'm sure you do a lot of the writing stuff as far as the editing stuff, but do you guys get a chance to get out and shoot? I know I I work with Wayne occasionally down in Colorado, and he gets out quite a bit. Um, Do you guys get a chance to do that? Yeah, most of my time outside is for very specific purposes, unfortunately. Uh, Like I'll be out hunting, and I have taken some shots of um, just like general hunting photos and things like that where – I know that we're going to need those at some point for the magazine, so I, I take the pictures. Uh, I am the editor, and I'm definitely not the best wildlife photographer that's ever lived. Uh, I'll admit that, but I do try, and you know, Patrick can look at my images and laugh at them and then throw them in his recycle bin or whatever it is that he does with those images I send. But uh, I, I do try to get some images, and uh, I'm able to write occasionally as well. Now, Tracy takes great photos. I mean, I'm kind of the same. I I go out fishing a lot in southeast Wyoming, and I can take some pretty awesome photos of my iPhone that we can use in the magazine. And, and, uh, you know, when I I was commuting after I stopped working at the University of Wyoming and first started with a game and fish, there was a long highway I was on where I could stop off the road every once in a while and shoot some uh, pronghorn photos and, you know, just... I, I never really was into wildlife photography until I started working at the Game and Fish, and um, luckily we have some cameras here that we can use. And it seems like I t- a lot of photography that I take are um, studio shots and um, some macro stuff of like uh, nymphs and flies and different lures and you know pretty much anything I can I can fill in the gaps with. That that would be another good point. How much of how often you have to go out and, and build those supporting images yourself kind of thing, or make special requests, I guess, potentially from the person doing the story that comes in after the fact. Is there a lot of that? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the, the, if I can do it or not. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and we, we work for a state agency and we, we all have budgets. Um, so sometimes um, it makes more sense for me to take the photos if if I didn't get exactly what I wanted from a freelancer. Yeah, this whole business has changed so much. and I, I have no idea what you guys pay at the, at the moment, but it used to be where you could submit to three or four state magazines and you could eke out a living with the monthly income from that if you were a prolific shooter. But I kind of think those days are gone now as far as you know, budgets being cut and you guys just only have a certain amount of money to work with. You still are able to put out an awesome magazine. It's just... Um, there's just not as much money for the images themselves. One thing you brought up earlier was, you know, you said fishing. And I think a lot of people think of wildlife and they don't think about fishing, right? Or they don't think about conservation 
well, maybe a little bit more about conservation, but I, you guys cover everything, right? So whether it's a conservation story, a hunting story, a fishing story, a wildlife, you know, profile story, it's everything. Or do you, do you have like a certain pillars that you're constantly looking for and you're making sure appear in every issue or every couple of issues? Yeah, we try to keep it diverse because our readers are really diverse. So we end up having a lot of people who are you know, interested in bird watching. So they may not be hunting, but they still are interested in articles about birds. Or uh, we had an article about like a rarely seen bird in Wyoming, and that was a, a huge hit and things like that. And then uh, some people just really like being in the outdoors. So we try to keep it diverse, but we are owned by the Game and Fish Department and conservation is you know, really part of our mission. And we wanna make sure that we're telling that story and how we're able to conserve wildlife. So yeah, it's, um, that's something we really wanna put into the magazine as much as possible and really show people what we do as an agency. And um, that's not to say every single article has to be specifically about game and fish. When we have articles about wildlife and what they're doing and how they're doing well in Wyoming, that also shows a lot of the success in conservation work that's been done. And so we want to be able to showcase that and really show people what Wyoming is about uh, in a way that makes people want to come back. What was that bird that was uh, obscure? It was a California condor. No kidding. And Holy smokes. Yeah, it was uh, over by Laramie, and that was two years ago, I think. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was kind of nuts, and uh, one of the gals that works here is, uh, she's a bit of a, a birder, and her husband is more than a bit of a birder, so they were kind of in the, the talks about it, and people were making hikes to up this peak to go and hopefully spot this condor and there was you know people that went and took pictures of it because you know it was a, a life bird it would be the first time people would see it in their lifetime so there was a, a lot of interest in that and i think that was two years ago like i said all the years kind of blend together especially uh, the last few years but it was a very exciting time i had no idea that they came this far east well and northeast yeah they're not usually in Wyoming. Oh, for that, sure. That's what made it so special, I guess. Yeah, snowy snowy owl is mine that I want to get in Wyoming. And I had a good lead this winter, and there was a population explosion. So I thought for sure they were going to show up, and they're not there. This rancher said that they've been there for three winters. And we went, looked multiple times, and can't find them. But I know they're seeing a lot of them in South Dakota, so then maybe they just got hung up somewhere else. Yeah, we just ran an article, was it last month, about a photographer on his quest to uh, photograph kestrels. Um, so for all the photographers out there, we're, I mean, uh, you know, the game and fish promotes, uh, you know, hunting, uh, angling, um, just, you know, we, we love wildlife enthusiasts and we consider photographers, wildlife photographers, wildlife enthusiasts as well, obviously. Um, so, I mean, if you have a story about your photography experiences, we're always interested in that as well. So, in Colorado, there's the uh, watchable wildlife, and I think there's a way that people can, let's say you're not a fisherman or you're not a hunter, and you're, so you're not putting any money into the agency, 
Is there a way that people can put into the agency? Obviously, I guess a subscription would be one way where you don't have to do that. But are there other ways in Wyoming where people can put money into it that goes towards the conservation of wildlife in Wyoming? There are a few ways that people can put money toward wildlife, even if they're not, you know, buying a hunting or fishing license. And one way you can buy a conservation stamp. They're required for if you, you know, have a hunting license or a fishing license. But that's not the only reason that you can buy a conservation stamp. You can just buy it because you want to donate to conservation. So that's one option. And there's also some um, some pro programs out there to help with um, wildlife crossings to reduce the number of uh, animals who are getting hit on the highways. And you can donate um, to that, or you can, if you're a Wyoming resident, um, you can get the conservation license plate, which uh, the money goes toward that program as well. So, and, and then there's also a lot of different nonprofits that partner with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department and uh, work for conservation as well. So you can always donate to one of them as well. Is there a resource page out there that like lists all that stuff or how do you, how do you go buy a conservation stamp, but then how do you also uh, support the migration or wildlife crossing stuff? Is there a place that somebody could go to find that? I don't think we have a page that has just like a one-stop shop of all the different ways you can donate. Um, to buy a conservation stamp, you can buy it online or you can you know, go to a retailer that sells fishing licenses and hunting licenses and purchase it that way. Um, and then you can donate for the wildlife crossings, uh, I believe through the Wyoming Department of Transportation webpage. Uh, and really, they, it used to be that those conservation plates were the only way that it went toward that particular fund. But they found that there was a lot of people that didn't necessarily live in Wyoming, but were still interested in donating to that because it is really important. So they made the way that people can donate without having to get that license plate or can donate in addition to. Those opportunities are fairly simple and most hardware stores in the state of Wyoming you can pop into and buy a conservation stamp or, or sporting goods store. Is that an actual stamp or is that a uh, digital thing? Yeah, it used to be a physical stamp, which is why it's called a conservation stamp. They don't print the, the stamps anymore. so. It's basically a, a sheet of paper that it'll print on your license that says that you have your conservation stamp. And they actually do have an art show every year. So the um, it, when it was a physical stamp, they started this art show so that artists could um, paint. It, it's through painting and you submit this artwork based on whatever species was selected for that contest year and somebody's selected and their image appears on the conservation stamp. So since we don't print conservation stamps anymore um, that are, you know, the physical stamps have to carry with you in the field, you can get a lot of uh, collectible items that have that image in it. So they're still doing the art show. It's just kind of in a different way. I think it's important to note that um, Tracy and I both work um, in the communication section for Wyoming Game and Fish. So the Wyoming Wildlife Magazine is, is just a portion of what we do. Um, me specifically is I, I'm the, I'm a graphic designer for the entire agency, um, the only one in the state. So Wyoming Wildlife is I'd say 50% or less of my job. Really? So that means you get and you guys are putting out an issue every year, every month, or is it bi-monthly or what's the frequency? Yeah. So we have 10 regular issues a year, 
um, and then one photo issue and one calendar. So, so one, one issue a, a month. That's a lot of work just to, I mean, I don't know, back in the day, wasn't it that your job was just pretty much doing the whole magazine too, right? So now you got to tack on what all the, the periodicals for hunting areas or fishing license areas. I mean, I'm sure you're doing all that kind of stuff too, right? Yeah. The hunting regulations and signage and, um, logos and brochures. I mean, pretty much anything. But those are all photo needs as well, right? So you, if somebody is submitting images, you could possibly use an image for that sort of thing and they're still going to get paid for something like that. Or is that not the case? Yeah. There, there's some cases where we do use freelance photographers for, um, photography such as we have fishing uh fish hawking trucks i don't know if you've seen them around but uh you know the the tank the trucks with the big tanks on the back and they go pick up um fish they're going to talk across the state uh, we did uh vehicle wraps on those and a freelance photographer got um some underwater fish photography on those um so i mean i i usually let people know that i uh, there's certain freelancers uh, underwater fish photographers are, are hard to find, um, so I usually put them in contact with other entities in the game and fish that are looking for freelance photography. I've got to get my underwater gear back because another contributor, uh, Don Wilson, stole it. She wanted to try some different stuff last winter, so I've got to get it back from her. But I have a project that I'm working on up in the state park. It's just kind of a personal project because that's where I grew up. But there's definitely some underwater opportunities there as well. So if you want to get a leg up, you might want to pick up your underwater gear and uh, get out there and do some stuff and try it out. It sounds like that's one of the spots where you could use a lot more stuff. And I'm always looking for underwater photography. Um, there's a couple uh, freelancers I work with quite a bit. I'm like, hey, can you just think about maybe getting – an underwater housing, maybe some strobes and just go out in there and start learning. And, um, you know, I've been thinking about putting in for some grants to buy, buy some underwater housing for our use. And, you know, it's just, we're so bogged down with, with work here. I mean, awesome work that I, I'm always passionate about creating, but you know, it's hard for us to get out. Um, so we always rely on freelancers, uh, uh, to get out and, and, and stuff to us because, uh, in the long run, it helps us out, and we're happy to pay. So, the tough part with the underwater housings is that the seasonal use in Wyoming is about four months. <laughs> Otherwise, they're sitting there collecting dust. And I guess it wouldn't have to be. You can, you can, you can do some dry suit stuff. Yes. I mean, even in July, in some parts of the state, uh, the water is super cold anyway, right? So. I mean, it'll take some, some bold action. <laughs> but I think you can end up with some really spectacular stuff. And I guess that's another place where you could possibly use a GoPro if you guys are for the E-Edition. I mean, that makes it pretty easy, right? But the stills, I mean, it's still hard to figure out how do you get a still with a underwater and good quality. And sometimes the water is murky and things like that. And with a really small window of opportunity, when sometimes the water's too murky to even get a photo, that also limits your opportunities because the weather might be nice, but that doesn't mean that the water is clear enough to get a good shot either. <laughs> too many muskrats. Well, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to cover? 
I think you should probably throw out at least one or two trivia questions if you've got them there handy, Tracy. Let me identify some good ones that might stump you here. So we were talking about birds in Wyoming a little bit ago. So this one, whoever gets closest is, is the winner of this question. How many bird species can be found in Wyoming? I'm going to go with 286. And I want to say 318. Okay, you're both low. Holy smokes. But this is Price is Right rules, right? So you didn't go over. 425. He got me again, even on the home state. And so that's going to range from everything from a condor to uh, what? Uh, hummingbirds, I'm sure. What's the smallest species of bird, I wonder? It's got to be a hummingbird or something like that. I would guess it's got to be a hummingbird. Which yeah. particular kind, I wouldn't be able to tell you. 425 species of birds. How many mammal species are in Wyoming? That's the next, that's the next question. That's a darn good <laughs> question. Game and Fish manages over 800 species of animals. That includes you know, fish, amphibians, reptiles, all of that. So I don't know how many of those are mammals. But... I wonder how that diversity relates to other states. You know, I would think that's pretty high. I mean, just having all of the different habitats you guys have and all the different species uh, that use those different habitats, it's got to, that's got to be on the higher edge of stuff. I would think so. That's a lot of different types of animals. The, the places where I think other states have us are reptiles and amphibians because we've got a very long winter. So they, there's a lot more diversity in those types of animals in some of the other states. But we've, we've got a pretty diverse wildlife here. I guess that's why everybody comes there to check out all the the scenery and wildlife. It's just a pretty yeah. cool diversity. Come visit, but don't feel like you need to stay. <laughs> all right, what's one more, Tracy? Which type of grouse found in Wyoming also shares a name with a shrub and a spice? A sage grouse. It's a sage grouse. Sage grouse, yep. So that one would be what do you, a shrub, a spice, and a smudge depending on who you are. <laughs> All right, Patrick, go ahead. Okay, what are two invasive mussels that pose the greatest risk to Wyoming's waters? The zebra is one. I, I don't know the second. I don't know the second, but I do know if you go just across state lines a little bit, like following the crane migration, and you look in any little side channel or canal, they're just full of them. So... Once they move in, then there's no stopping them. Um, zebra shell, that's the only one that I know of. Yeah, so quagga and zebra mussels. Uh, they do pose a threat to Wyoming. Fortunately, we do not have them as aquatic invasive species in Wyoming. Um, zebra and quagga mussels are not found in any natural body of water in the state as of yet. And uh, Damon Fish has checkpoints, and there's a lot of different legislation and um, the legislature was even talking about various things to, you know, increase penalties and things like that if you go past a check station. So there's a lot of effort to keep them out because, like Ron said, once they take over, you really can't get rid of them. Yeah, the state's been very proactive. And I think that that is one point that we can make for photographers, too. If you do do photography in the water, you know, especially waterfowl folks, if you're coming from one state to another, make sure that you're you're cleaning your waders off thoroughly and uh, and your boots, especially if you've got the felt soles. They can hold, you know, mussels and larvae and, and you can introduce those without even having any idea. 
so the those muscles are really really hard to get rid of so if you come through a check station in a boat and they find muscles on there there's like superheated water that they spray down and that's the only way really to kill them just drying out doesn't do it and even freezing you know over the winter or something like that won't kill them and so you really have to make sure that you have everything cleaned off as much as possible and with the felt soles there's a lot of water bodies that the regulations prohibit people from even accessing if you have felt soles so if somebody does check before you go waiting out because you could be in violation if you aren't careful good to know and that's just something that you just should keep on for anywhere you go in the country you just really pay attention to those kinds of things and it also brings up a, a really good point for nature photographers that um, make sure that everything you do is ethical in photography I know for our publication, if there is any inkling that that was obtained in an unethical way, we are not using that photograph. So if you were harassing wildlife, got too close to uh, newborn wildlife, something like that, we're not using it. Um, you really need to be respectful of wildlife and not put yourself in danger either. You see people that are way too close to bears and things like that, or that are stopped alongside the road, not paying attention because they're so focused on wildlife that they're walking out in front of traffic. So make sure that you're keeping yourself safe and wildlife safe throughout all of your journeys. Right, and if you ever have any questions, you know, call the Wyoming Game and Fish headquarters, or if you're in a specific area in the state, call, you know, look and see if they have a headquarters there and, or, you know, a, a satellite um, uh, building and, and call them and see if, um, they can answer your questions. I'm sure they can. Well, thank you guys very much for your time. I know you had to carve out a, a piece of your work day, so we greatly appreciate it. And our listeners will definitely appreciate getting some answers to some questions that we get often. And I thank you both for introducing the both perspectives from the editorial side and the art side as well. Yeah. And thanks for having us. You know, it's, this is a new experience for me, so I appreciate your time as well. So just for our listeners, again, this is the best deal in photography, really, and uh, the best periodical you're going to get for for the money. So for our listeners, could you just go ahead and, and lay out where they would need to go to be able to get a subscription? Yeah, it's really easy to um, to subscribe for our magazine online. Just go to wgfd.wyo.gov, that's the Game and Fish website, and then slash magazine. And there you can just scroll down. There's some subscription information and um, some photos and things like that and articles, but you can subscribe. There's even a separate one if you want to give as a gift. There's a separate link for that that you can give the gift to somebody. Same price, $14.95 for 12 issues, so can't beat it. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.